comics are looking for the feel good spots in the beginning. Yeah, That's yeah. A it's a mistake. Yeah, and I think some comedian told you that once when you he said, "How's it going? Your comedy or whatever?" You said, "It's doing great. I've just been doing it a few months, and 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 I'm having good laughs and good reactions." And he said, "Oh, that's not good." <laughs> yeah, he told me he said he said it's better if you have your you know your worst um your worst situations very yeah. early on yeah. because uh you know it's gonna hurt more. <laughs> when you when you fall on your face, so that's probably true. Now I see a lot of comedians coming through that comedy cove, and you are very unique yeah. in one distinction, and that is, I don't want to even call it crowd work. That's being with the crowd, connecting with the crowd, and understanding everyone who's in the room. Uh, more than half of your time that you do on that stage, I know you've got all the material to fill that time too, but more than half of your time is working with the crowd. So my question to you about it, because I've seen you like 10 times, it's obvious that you have a lot of experience with that because you handle it so well. Tell me about the times when you were learning that, doing crowd work and making mistakes, pissing a guy off, getting a reaction. That must have honed you to do it so well today. Oh, I think, excuse me, in the beginning, material is a lot more important because you're scared, you're nervous, and you can't really think clearly. You know, you can't, you know, you can't really think on your feet. It's tough to be like stream of consciousness. You know, I, mm -hmm. I always enjoyed playing with the crowd. That was kind of something that I found very fun and enjoyable myself. So I was lucky. Um, you have to have the material. Um, but I think it's just, it's just practice and time. And, you know, the more you relax on stage, the more clearly you can think. I was always kind of a wise guy, you know, with my friends and, mm -hmm. and you know, to the to the dismay of my uh, my teachers. <laughs> my, <laughs> my, father, my father really wasn't happy that I was a natural comedian, you know. That, that didn't go well, and it certainly didn't help my GPA at all. Um, but uh, I think for me, the crowd work part is kind of my natural thing that I love, and as I as I progressed and got more relaxed on stage, I think you kind of you know, morph into what you are. You know, mm -hmm. it's no different than an athlete or anything else. You know, you start out learning the basics, you get that framework of the basic fundamentals, and then you kind of, as you relax, you kind of develop and you become, you develop your own uniqueness. And I just enjoy the crowd work because it's fresh, it's new every night. Yeah, sometimes comedians are doing the same material over and over. They can get boring and dry for yes. that. Yeah, and I think the audience likes it too. They enjoy the interaction. Okay, now, Doug Carf. Everyone at home That's is me. ready to. It is you, and it's yep. not a PH, right? It's a PF. It's a PF. The P is silent because we don't like to get spit on when people are telling us our oh. name. Right? <laughs> Listen, yeah. since the P is silent, why don't you just make it PF? PH, PH, that's the same thing as PF. Uh, I'm not messing with thousand year, thousands of years of my yeah. ancestry. Yeah, I don't need right. more bad karma. Okay, now, Doug Karpf with a PF. Right. Everyone at home is poised to watch this film at the same time as we do here in the studio. So everyone at home must press play on their device at the same time we do here in the studio. So why don't you go ahead, Doug, go ahead, Doug Karpf, and give us that. Celebrity Comedian Countdown. Three, two, one, go.
Thank you, Celebrity Comedian Countdown. Very informative. I look forward to listening to it. And now, I don't know what the fuck I'm watching, but I'm really <laughs> into it. Is this like a movie production title card? This? No, no. We are looking at a... I don't know. I don't know. What are we it's looking at? It's supposed to let you know, like, this movie is sort of cosmic in a way. It's larger oh, than something. You're called Machine Tool of Heaven, and you're going to let me know you're cosmic. <laughs> well, the lathe shapes the wood, you see. Uh -huh. And this guy shapes reality with his dream. Oh, you know what? Can I get a refund? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is he like... Oh, I love her, but she will never talk to me. And then he meets her in her dream. No, that would be National Lampoon's Lathe of Heaven. Right. I of wish course, I which we're writing. Which we're currently working virgin. on. Right. No, this was a PBS film, and this was a big deal. It was called it was a project called TV Lab. It's like PBS's first made-for-TV movie ever. Wow. Um, it was done in New York, even though it was funded out of Boston. You know how PBS Oops. is all about Boston. Oops, yep. I dropped the bomb. Nuclear explosion. Ah, don't look, don't look directly into it, Carl. That'll mush your room. Isn't that funny? Like, the explosion will mush your room. It's a mush room. It's a, oh, right. It does mush your room. Okay, now here comes George. And George is fucked up from a nuclear explosion. Is he the last man alive? Kind of thing. Yeah. He's <laughs> not. He's not. There's a population that will live on after the devastation. But it's going to get interrupted by a dream. Cool. Oh, stop sign. You should really, George, respect the sign. That, that's a, see, this is when society breaks down, when you have a nuclear war. People don't even stop at the stop sign. Man, you used to see Carl when he has a camera. He's like, do you see this abandoned building? Boom, we're making a post-apocalyptic movie. I want you to yeah. crawl I'm on the ground. You up. I'm picking you up. At, as soon as you get back from Brandeis, I'm picking you up. And we're going to go. Now, is this based on a science fiction novel by Ursula yeah. Le Guin? Yeah, there's a woman named Ursula Le Guin, and she was a big deal. Now, big she deal. doesn't like being called science fiction. She just wants to be an American novelist because – you know, but come on, if you do science fiction stories, right? You're going to be. Oh, yeah. You have devoted fans of American fiction. Bullshit. You have science look fiction fans. Look who's waking up, okay? Twink. Wasn't the twink just in the devastation of the aftermath of a nuclear explosion? The twink was. So what's he doing here in this nice room with everything intact? He didn't get a mush room. I like Kevin Conway. Oh, yeah, good. right. His room's not mooshed. It's, it's a wide room. Kevin Conway will be our evil doctor. Was he the guy in MASH? Uh, no, in no. Taxi? No, no. Uh, he played multiple characters in The Fun House. You know that horror film. You like that horror film. I do like that horror film. He was in Funny Farm with Chevy Chase. Whoop-dee-doo. Oh, I have to rewatch that. That's Michael Ritchie. Director. Invincible, the football drama in 2000. Direct on the American novel by Ursula K. Le Guin. Ursula Le Guin. You might know him in Slaughterhouse-Five. He was um, Ronald Weary, 1972, Slaughterhouse-Five. What a weird Five. movie. I saw that film. Yeah. Yeah. The protagonist Ooh, directors. Kind of Look at that guy's name. It's Barzak. <laughs> That's right. There's two directors, and they were like, yeah, it's Barzik. The Y is like an E sound. 
I want my last name to have Z Y X in it. Yeah. Well, yeah. it'd be Spiegelman instead of I E. It would be a Y. It would be X Y Spiegelman. Right. Exagelman. So he has woken up into a normal world after this nuclear bomb hit. Uh, it does York. rain a lot. Oh, it's the Portland. Okay, that makes well, sense. It rains in Portland, especially in the future. <laughs> now, this film, this book was set in Portland, and the film was going to be in Portland. But the thing is, Dallas had all these, like, very futuristic buildings. So they switched it to Dallas. That's true. Give it up for Dallas architecture. Now, look, look he's some sort of poke-apocalyptic, blue-collar worker kind of guy. And here's his, like, manager. Where are you going? See, he abused drugs, so he has to go to counseling. But the drugs he abused were drugs that prevent you from dreaming. It's fucking weird. So he's going to like a dream shrink. Dream shrink. Oh, cool. The dream corp. Yeah, dream yeah, corp. Oh, you got to take the future bus. It's an American bus. It's not a science fiction bus. Right. This is the future bus and future train station. I watched the PBS special. Like PBS for me reminds me of modern television because they would shoot it on video and it would look weird, right? Like this is a very blurry yep. copy we have. I saw a Raul Julia movie he did for PBS and it was a science fiction movie. And it looked like I was actually looking at him in the room because it was so grainy yeah. and like cool. distinct. Yeah. Like, if you ever watch a modern television set that's on 4K and yes. it looks like you're looking at Adam Sandler, like he's right there in well, the room. Much higher quality, but yeah. yeah. You still got the feeling back then on PBS, like watching Shakespeare or something, that you were in the room with them. Right, you and were in the audience. Cheap. It looked cheap, remember? It did look cheap, yeah. But it also looked immediate. Like, it really did, yes. like, Rod Julio was right there. And I've yeah. seen, I really do prefer watching movies the way they were shot, like the, the way the cinematographer and the, everyone involved tried to make a movie look purposely grainy or purposely colored or blend. Because if not... I'm watching it on a 4K T TV or whatever. Right. And it, and it looks like a PBS science fiction movie from the 80s shot on video. Yeah. Now, this, what we're watching, is not the original. It's like a restored. The original was lost. Gotcha. Uh, it's a digital master created from the two surviving tapes, was color corrected using state-of-the-art technology. Ghosting mm. and darkness of many of the images appear in some scenes. It's the best quality transfer possible to this important work with the only surviving materials. Now, here's Dr. Bad Guy. It's Dr. Haber. Man, he looks pretty shabby for a doctor, man. Yep. Now, right like, now, he's... Wear a belt. He's wearing his, like, bathrobe. Well, they're doing that for 1970s psychologist tropes. You know, that it was a psychiatrist, psychologist. They would wear those feel-good uh, sweaters. Don't you remember in the yeah, 70s? Patched on the elbow. Yes. Like when he put on his professor coat, it would be patched. Okay. So right now, he's fine. Right now, he, this guy, he thinks somebody's coming to me again because they have bad dreams. Well, I got some whammy-jammy equipment, nice. and I can fix that. Now we just saw a picture of Mount Hood. Did you notice the picture of Mount Hood? That's from from. Is he sure it's not Mount Shasta? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Look at me dropping northwestern mountain names. So, 
just know that it is not a picture of a horse or anything. It's clearly Mount Hood. Okay. Okay. I will remember that for the third act. <laughs> when he's climbing Mount Hood. <laughs> so um, it'll come up a lot quicker than that. So right now we're just getting that. Hey, come on, pal. I'm I'm your shrink. You can open up to me. Let's let's be buddies. But I'm he's doing it with a sort of pompous attitude, like your in your you know your health is in my best interest too, George. You know that kind of like. The teacher George is not buying it, right? Like he's just not. No, he George. is. He's yeah. just he's got something to tell the doctor that the doctor's not going to believe. Whatever he dreams comes true. Of well, course, the doctor. What? He just dreamt about war. Right. He dreamed that. No, he was in a nuclear explosion. It's a little unclear in the story, Ursula Le Guin. He was. He's going to tell a story about when he first dreamed, and it must have been before the nuclear war. So, but the nuclear war sort of starts his powers. You see, it's it's. It's a little Does mixed it. up in the plot. Gotcha. I'm actually looking forward to this movie. I, I've always heard of the author, and I just I never read it, any of her stuff. Or yeah, any, she was she... a big deal. Um, yeah. She was a successful person. Let's see. She died in 2018. Wow, so, that's pretty good. recent. No, that's good. Yeah, but she missed the pandemic. Woof! That was close. But she was around for 9-11. Yes. Now look at the bubbles, right? Right. This is like it's a technology that's not explained. He can make you rapidly go through your sleep stages. So poof, you're in REM. You're in your rapid eye movement dreaming state. Gringo, the gushes. Where yeah, there it is? is. There it is. Why can't you say green grow the rushes? Why green, can't you say it? Green grow the rushes. Because it doesn't make any sense. Green people don't talk like that. You name no, a title after it. Not only it do was, people say that, oh, they named a fucking movie after that. God. No, and it's an old folk song. Like people would talk like that in like 1810. You know, it's an like, old folk song. I don't like it. I don't like it either. The rushes grow green is how we would say it. And a rush is like weeds, right? Yeah. It, well, it's okay. a swamp weed. Swamp weed. All right, yeah. I got you. Okay. So he's now. he's in REM sleep. He's dreaming about Michael Stipe. He said, well, right now he's not actually sleeping. He's saying, tell me about the first time this effective dream of yours happened. So he's remembering when his aunt came to live with them for a short time because she, I don't know, down on her luck, some bullshit. She's always coming on to him. Now, Carl Haupt is 14 years old, sitting on the couch, watching PBS. There's Tell nothing me. in his world called pornography. No. The best he has is the Sears catalog, the bra section. Because they're photos, you know. Check it out. They are photos, so, technically. Yeah. So now he's watching this movie, The Lathe of Heaven. That guy's face I know, and I couldn't find it in the research. No worries. He's, he's watching The Lathe of Heaven, and... Here it is. This is this. This gave me a boner, and I I I wow. it for months. Watch, keep watching. Yeah, watching first of all, it's popping out right. That's number. It's a little chilly in there. That's well, okay. That's I hear you. Now and watch. Whoa! It's... Smack. Now remember, I'm 14, living in a world without sexuality. You see something a little sexual, and you go wow. 
Was that a relative or like yes. a family friend? Yeah, she was always coming on to him as a joke. And he one time when they were alone thought maybe she's not joking. And he tried and he got smacked. So now he goes and dreams of her exploding in a car crash. Betty. Guess what happens in the morning? She never lived with them. She still lived in, what I think it was Houston or something. Look, he's, she's getting a letter. Your sister has died. Oh, my God. So he wakes up and, like, she, they never had, the family never had the experience with her hanging out. That's right. He never had that embarrassing thing. He dreamed her to die in a car crash. And he's telling the future therapist this. Now, you might know his face from Willard. Look behind him. It's Mount Hood. You see Mount Hood? It's Mount Shasta. Listen, as someone from, as a Portlandian. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, you're an Oregian? Oh, no, actually, isn't that Seattle, Shasta? Oh, no. Good water, man. I recommend their bottled water. Mount Shasta. Rainier. Mount Rainier is Seattle. Yeah, that's close, too. It's near. It's, it's so Rainier, Seattle. Future Doc. Okay, I think you're a little future crazy. Yeah, so he's going, you see, doctor, I killed her. I killed her. And he's like, <laughs> there's a difference between dreams and reality, George. I'm sure you understand that. You know, he's not getting it. So the doctor thinks he dreamt that he spent weeks and weeks with his, with his aunt. Uh, yeah, on. on. No, no, no. The, he told the story of his first effective dream. He killed the aunt. And then he got all stressed out and, you know, manic about it. And then doctor's like, calm down, George. It's just a dream. I, I didn't mean to kill her. He thinks he's crazy. Right. Here, do that look. <sighs> My I got to quit better help. This better help gig sucks. <laughs> oh, casino? No, this is the future. Like, we've talked it's about this. It's like a bureaucracy. I mean, just like, yeah, it's the future, but like in the 1970s, they had bureaucracy, they had things on paper. Right. So just like last episode, the 1930s carried into the future. This is, right, a little, this is a little funny. Let's turn it up. Okay, hang on. Voluntary treatment with a Dr. William Haber, correct? Yes. Now he was in Willard in the Rats. This guy, our hero. I know I know that movie. Here's my 1970s paperwork in the future. Alright. Like if it was today's movie, we'd like let me see your float screen. There's like file cabinets behind them. Yeah. Card catalogs and Dewey decimals, and look at that, they got files. All right, in so you boxes. turned it off. Not my jurisdiction. Ah, uh, okay, never mind. Sorry. Goes, well, I have trouble with these dreams. And he goes, Not in my jurisdiction, and shuts them down. Bureaucracy for you. Okay, so now we have the dream meter and all the <laughs> modern 70s dream stuff. So oh, I believe it's the dream machine. That's they live inside of my, my head. head. The dream machine, they come to me in my bed. The dream <laughs> machine. Ah. Uh, <laughs> arrest me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Remember, uh, you ever see Nightmare on Elm Street? And yes. the mom turns to the doctor and she's, she's smoking a cigarette. She says, Doc, what are these dreams? Right? What are dreams? Yes. It was a great moment. <laughs> 
<laughs> now look behind his head. Is it Mount Hood? Yes. Okay. He's wearing it as a hood. Interesting. Mountaintop. They can't even like Paramount. We tried pitching this. No, uh, we tried pitching this movie to Paramount Pictures. They said no. Best we could do is a photo of Mount Hood in the background. (laughs) And PBS. So now he's going to use that dream whammy jammy on him, in which he goes through all of his phases. Here, sign this. You won't sue me when you go crazy. Form. How many times does he sign it? Once and here. And here, right? The bureaucracy here. here. Initial here. Now, the thing why this technology doesn't make sense is it's like sort of just like, is it going into his brain electrically? You know, I, I don't get it. Ooh, look at that PBS uh, graphic. Yeah. Like, I think were... um, TV Lab was funded with $750,000 only, and two hundred and fifty, which was considered a lot by them, went into this, which was considered the pilot. Now, they didn't just pick Ursula Le Guin. I mean, they really searched for an author. Sure. Uh, they considered Arthur Clarke, Frank Hubert, Kurt Herbert, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., uh, Burgess, and Robert Heinlein. They went with her. and um, Oh, which is cool because she's written a lot. You know, and like uh, I'm into it. Well, she did Earthsea, which was like some sort of series of books. She did The Left Hand of Darkness. That was a big deal. And then it talks about The Dispossessed. I don't know that book. Um, Yeah. She she made over 20 novels, 100 short stories. She did a little bit of poetry. She did literary criticism. That sounds like an old lady. And uh, she did children's books, and she did translations. That's why it sounds like I need a little money. No, no, it sounds like she has, like, Isaac Asimov. She's just a genius, and she can't stop, you know? Like, she just yeah, has she's constantly. Berkeley. Yeah, that's that all was, cool. Yeah. A lot well, of her I, stuff is um, anthropology, and her dad was an anthropologist. I don't know. Oh. It was the, you know. She was interested in her work was influenced by cultural anthropology, Taoism, feminism, and the writings of Carl Jung. Pretty heavy, man. Yeah, dude. And we're watching yeah. a movie about dreams. Right. Now he's putting a whammy jammy on him and he's gonna tell him what to dream about. Dream about a horse. Dream about a horse. He wakes up. It's like that horse never existed. By the way, I got a letter from the horse's manager. He caught on fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, oscillator, oscillator, oscillator. Call oscillator. him on the phone. Call him on the phone. I can't. He's he's horse right now. <laughs> he can't talk on the phone. He can do you shrank him. He's a little horse. You are beginning to dream now, George. REM patterns are normal. Unusually. Something unusual. Uh, Wait a minute. Call the PBS special effects team. We found something. (laughs) It's funny. They had to go with the special effects they could afford, not the ones that were good. Well, we get it. It's a story, and they they don't have to be, like, super expensive special effects. Just tell the story. And and I'm saying that as a viewer like me. Uh Uh-huh. What does it mean? Well, I mean, like, PBS took my money and viewers like uh, you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, okay. 
Uh, this is one of the directors, Barzik says, I would run the set and David Luxton would be behind the scenes when it would come to the actual physical structure of the set. We had equal import. Um, there's a limited budget moving to science fiction. And let's face it, some of Ursula's ideas were pretty big. How the hell do we possibly portray the attack of aliens or wiping out billions of people with the plague? Spoiler alert. Too late to alert you. Wait a minute, um, there's going to be a plague and an alien invasion? <laughs> what it came down to is oh. we had to find metaphors, things that didn't cost that much money, which have emotional impact. They, our special effects in the lathe were not done the way they were necessarily the direction we wanted to go, the direction we had to go. I hear you. Now, Ursula Le Guin was all over this film, advising and everything, and I'm sure she had something to say about the special effects, but... Yeah, she's like, where are they? <laughs> she didn't really write the script. It was written by one of the by a woman who would go on to make Murphy Brown. That would be her big claim to fame. Oh, well, and, I probably know that person too. It's I could see her the the title card uh, at the end. Of the Diane movie. English. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Creative. So she created Murphy Brown. The other writer, he did Porky's. He did Breaking Point. Wow. Yeah. He wrote Porky's, huh? Yeah, 1981. So it's right around this time. So he's being deep and meaningful, and then he's writing fart jokes. Oh, right, right. And what was more now successful? Look, look at the picture. And where's Mount Hood? He goes, that's the triple crown winner so-and-so. That's Seabiscuit's George. It's always been there. No, it was Mount Hood. Carl, you've, you've brought it up 17 times. It was obvious. Oh, so he's like... Now, this is my fourth time watching this film. As I watch the doctor and listen to the way he talks, I don't think he knows the picture changed. Okay, okay. let me try it. Yeah, I remember it, don't you? George, that is Tammany Hall, the Triple Crown winner. <sighs> oh, my dreams. They make it reality. Now, remember when the aunt died, the family did not know he had ever lived with... Okay, so that's a... Another That's weird good... thing about the plot. Soon he's gonna know. Soon he's. How could he know? I want to mention, like speaking of uh, championship horse, I'm on the sea biscuit diet. Oh, you see a biscuit? And I eat you it. Eat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sea biscuit. But this biscuit still has marks where the jockey slapped it. It's sea biscuit, you idiot. <laughs> I mean, like, what was wrong with America then? Like, that was the most popular thing in the world. See, <laughs> Biscuit's an American hero. Is he? Yeah. No, but it's... that's the movie made it seem that way. It was just... No, it okay, was big. He... Okay, you're right. I mean, it was just something in sports, you know? Like, right, what yeah, is yeah, this yeah. Olympics? Was everybody into the Olympics? It wasn't but, a horse. It wasn't a horse. It was a human. Look at this future fan. Hey, there's my fans in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Your fans came out. Yeah. I'll get someone to put them back into your window, sir. Portman, Dallas. Dallas, Dallas. It does look like Dallas, you have to admit. Those and buildings we're going to look... see Dallas throughout. Some Fort Worth. Now, one of the internet sites, but it wasn't like a serious one, like IMDB or, you know, Wikipedia. It was some movie site, like three or four click, clicks of Google in. Right. Claimed that part of this was filmed in West Germany. 
I just don't, I don't think that's true. Why would they do that anyway? They could spend well, money on doing something else. Of course. I love now, these outfits. We'll see some stock footage of like rockets taking off and stuff. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. He goes, George, I'd like to see you use your dream. Now, doesn't that strike you as a nice idea? So it's like, does he know that they're effective dreams? I mean... He got... The, the psychiatrist got snookered because he now doesn't realize that Mount Hood wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like... <clears throat> Look, he just knocked him out and put him to sleep in, like, a click. I don't know how he did that, and he'll never do it again in the film. Isn't that weird? Right. Yeah, they did that in Porky's as well. <laughs> oh, I can see the influence Pee-wee. in Porky. Yeah. Angel Beach. Angel Pee-wee. Beach, Florida. Leave Pee Wee. Oh, I can't wait. He wakes up. Pee Wee wakes up with an erection. Mom the funniest in. thing about that film was when he went on. Pee Wee went on his date. He wore his condom. It was on his dick the whole date. He wore his condom. The best joke's always in the beginning. He has an erection. He measures it. His mom walks in. Yeah. Well, you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. Swing. That was hilarious. The rest of the movie, what have you. So he keeps saying Antwerp. That's their, like, code word to dream. Safe so, word. Okay. Um, trigger word. You know, it's like he says Antwerp, and, you know, like a hypnotist, they'll make him squawk like a chicken every time he says Antwerp, that kind of but thing. But that, that's a name, not a word. Right? It's a city. Right. right. They're just using it. Like, I might say raspberries. You know, they're just using it as a... Okay, so he asked him to dream that this dreadful rain in Portland would go away. If it worked, the doctor would have never remembered there was rain. He would be in a world where there was never rain. Agree, Mike. So that's what's wrong with the film. You see, he goes out there and the rain goes away and the sun comes out. So everybody... Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, I just... You're uh, you're with me already. I don't get it. Look they at must the sun. Need a green screen there. I think it's because the doctor is trying to manipulate it himself. Like he wasn't conscious of the horse taking over the reality, but he's trying to toy with this guy, so he's kind of conscious of what he's doing. Yep, you're right about that. But that's dangerous. That's a dangerous game to play, man. That's funny. That's what George is going to say. Yeah. Because he thinks he's in control, but he already whammy jammy the doctor. But whatever George dreams, you're going to get. So you can right. suggest stuff to George. That doesn't mean he's going to dream it the way you said it. Okay, so now he goes back. He just left his patient unattended, right? So now he goes back and he's going to wake him up. And he's going to pretend... He's going to be like, it's always been Sonny George. You know, he's going to pretend he doesn't know. Oh, the doctor's going to pretend. Yes, the doctor's going to pretend. Doctor's going to get fucked. I hope the doctor gets fucked up. Yep, that's right. He says, it was an effective dream. I tell you that, they wear me out. Sure, man. That's like the pull in in, uh, Firestarter. Your eye starts to bleed. Zac Efron's eye starts bleeding. 
I was having a picnic on Mount Hood in the in the rain with Genghis Khan, and then oh, his yeah. umbrella leaked, and the sun came out. Oh, they have online weather back in '79. No, it's the phone. You know, oh, you hear the automated recording. Weather. One eight hundred W E A. Right. <laughs> and you're there with the rotary phone trying to figure out what the W is. So you must have the subtitles on, right? Yeah, I'm rocking the subtitles, Carl. Because that's what she came in and said. I have the weather online for you, just like you asked, sir. He did ask in the hall. She's he's listening. He's like. Temperature is 105 degrees. <laughs> a lot of sun. Celsius. Fahrenheit. It can't be Celsius. It has to be. Bur yeah, I think someone at PBS has another metric system. Yeah, because you would be. Yeah, that'd be like that's what you set the oven to. This is kind of cool. I like these these uh, future. Wait, it's subjects. it's zero is freezing and a hundred is boiling, right? right. So yeah, so yeah, 105 Celsius. <laughs> so he's going, I liked it better when it was raining. And George overhears that and says, he knows, he knows. He, th he knows that the doctor knows. So he's going back to confront him. Right. But the doctor won't let on that he knows. Oh, but he has to know the doctor did that. I wouldn't trust what? the doctor. What? Fucking... You have to have trust between the doctor and you, right? Like the doc can't can't put you turn you into a chicken and then make you lay a dozen eggs and not tell he you does, about it. He does not trust the doctor. Good. The doctor is making him squawk like a bird and lay eggs. Yeah. I have to say, PBS rocked during this time, right? You had the Electric Company. You had like full on Sesame Street. You had Julia Child. Zoom had a was lot of ass. yeah, Zoom. That's right, Zoom came out. Yeah. You had the news hour with Masterpiece Theater. Oh, Alistair Cook, man. Every Sunday you'd be hooked to the PBS. It was relevant back then. It wasn't just hours of craft animal cartoons and uh No, I mean we had 13 channels and they were one of them. And they were like, they were Damn, channel 13. Was not gonna be a network. We had channel 13 as the PBS channel. Funny you say we had 13 channels. Me too, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we grew up the same place. Yeah, we're in a tri-state. NBC is four, CBS is two, ABC is? Seven. Seven. But you PIX know, I see is? 11. Yeah. PIX 11. Is PIX still around, WPIX? Yes. And yes. they still do the 11? They still make it look like the World Trade Center? Uh, no. no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't watch it. Uh, yeah. But I know that a French... Uh, Curiosity Shop was interviewed on PIX and I saw it on YouTube, so I know they're alive. Okay, so he goes to this uh, lawyer uh, because it's all the part of the paperwork. He was abusing drugs and they signed him to the therapist. He goes, I want a different therapist. And she's like, you got to show cause. You know, I can't just switch your therapist. Right. And it's like, he's, he's, he's using me like a guinea pig and she's just shutting him down, you know. But he's right. I agree with them. Look at that electric sharpener. Even in the future, they have pencil sharpeners. Well, they still had pencils in the future. It looks pretty cool. Now, she will actually become the third person in our film. She'll become uh, the third player. And it's a little awkward how she's not in the beginning because this isn't an act two person. 
Right. Um, you, I don't know if you'll. You, well, she did. She had a famous uh, performance in The Color Purple in '85. Shrug Avery, and she was nominated for Academy Award for oh, Best Actress yeah, in a Supporting Role. Her name is Margaret Avery, but she's Heather in our story. She did I, a lot of work here, but I don't know if you'd know any of it. Well, I don't. All the serious Spielberg movies I avoid. If there's an alien involved, I'm there. But okay. Like, nothing science fiction. I don't watch these movies. I don't really. I don't find an alien in one of these titles. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. All right. Well, how about there's one with a fish? Would you be interested in? Okay. She did the fish that saved Pittsburgh in 19. I saw that movie. That's a great movie. All right, you maybe know what? these movies. Hey, so the fish that saved Pittsburgh is because they were all the same astrological sign, Pisces. Mm-hmm. It was this, uh, I think the kid's name was James Brown Third, or I don't know. No, I'm making it up. But the, it was a kid who. You're saved, making it up. He saved his, his uh, the Philly sports team. God. Uh -huh. It's not a, literally a fish. It, okay, it's just the Pisces symbol. Okay, so here, uh, Cool Breeze in 1972. Which way is up in 77? Scott Joplin in 77. Yeah. Uh, White Man's Burden in 95. Oh, I saw that. That's when James Travol John Travolta, like it switched, like white people were the... Oh, I heard of that film. I never saw that. I got to go see that movie. Um, Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins, Meet the Browns in 2008, Proud Mary in 2018. Oh, I see Meet the Browns. Okay, 2008. And she was on uh, BET in Being Mary Jane for like four years oh is that a reality show lead character's mother uh, oh, well, no, right. it's drama. so she's been acting constantly yeah yeah i i see a gap from the she was active in the 70s and then there are gaps once in the 80s once in the 90s and then Well, she's still she has been in things consistently throughout all the decades, including ours right now. It looks like she played the mom in Fish that saved Pittsburgh, and the kid's name was James Bond the Third, the actor. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. You should see that movie. I, my brother and I love that film. Oh, it, okay. Uh, they do this stunt. It's you have to like it's VOD. You can't find it on YouTube. But if you have a chance to, I would go to your Netflix DVD service and see if they have the fish to save Pittsburgh. Okay, so noted. Look at Dallas, man. Dallas architecture is so normal. Modern. Is it modern? I don't know. Okay, so the, what his effective dream essentially gave the doctor his own dream institute, and look how he's dressed. Remember how he was dressed before. Sure. Yeah, right. We complained about it. Now he's in like a computer center. Look at him looking around, noticing himself. He's so weird. So they both are aware of the, the whammy jammy. Well, he's still pretending he is not aware of it, the doctor. That's so what a sleazy doctor. Here's the receptionist. Ooh, actual <laughs> clipboard. Thank you, nurse. Usually I have a box of cereal that you put a piece of paper on and I, I sign it that way. <laughs> Clipboard. There's a uh, stuff in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, 
put George down for an appointment at noon tomorrow. And he goes, no, 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 Doc. We're done. We're done. We're done. You got your wing. We're out of here. I got a, I got a job. He goes, therapy is more important than your job. Wow, what a cool-looking office he dreamt up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Dr. Haber's loving it, too. I mean... So, like, George protests, but he still does it. I don't know. I'm not going to do this anymore. Oh, I think not. We have a 12 o'clock appointment. Don't <laughs> sleep, by the way. Stay up all night. I'll see you at noon tomorrow. I like how you just sleep, dude. He knocks yeah. you. I guess he does the whammy jammy knockout. Right. right. He... You go through stage one, stage two, stage three. Boom, you're in REM. Instant dreaming. Dreaming. Dreaming is real free. I I don't know how it goes. Uh, yeah, dreaming. You, I met you in the park. We're going to have an Ursula Le Guin cameo, by the way. Cool, good. I want to see what she looks like. Dreaming is free. It's free. Free, yeah, gotcha. What a bad song. You know, you should check out Sherman's Showcase on uh, Hulu. They okay. do a Deborah Harry Blondie parody that is so funny. <laughs> she sings a song about nightclub and how she's going to go out and get plowed like the winter snow. <laughs> now, I, I'm going to interrupt myself because we got a cameo. You're only going to see her for two seconds. Okay. She's going to be on the left. We're not there yet. You're going to see a long table in a cafeteria. Our heroes are sitting at the head of it, and she's going to be to the left. All right, I'm ready to pause it. No, Wait. no, 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 no. They're left. Up. Oh, okay. There she is. Not yet, not yet. There, to the left. She's she see the gray haired lady to the left, all close to him. What a great cameo, man. Um, okay, so Le Guin, her husband, her fifteen year old son, and her husband's eighty year old Aunt Ruby appear as extras in the scene where Heather and George talk over lunch in a cafeteria. All I saw was Ursula Le Guin, and all I really saw is her gray hair look like my mom. Seriously. She looked like the dust cover, like eating something. The, the dust jacket. You, you open up the book, and there's a picture of Ursula. Yeah, She's written a, 100 books. She wrote, no, she wrote 20, 20. over 20. She wrote in the 20s. And then 100, and then like short, stories. 100 short stories. Yeah. Translated a few books, knocked out a cute couple anthologies, maybe a book about puzzles. Now, <laughs> she did a book on quilting. Now, um, George has now said it was it's an experimental machine. And so the lawyer, um, Heather, is like, oh, experimental? Okay, that'll be your, uh, you know, you've got a case. I will go as an observer, and if there's something weird, I can get your switch to a different Thank case. you, Margaret Avery, for doing something, right? She's <laughs> got to get in there. Oh, she's, she's in there for out. She yeah. will now go to this appointment and be with us for the rest of the film. Good. Now, look, Good. it's all like a nuclear – see, the results of the dreams change. Every single time they change, I'm a little behind. I don't know why those people still look like they were nuclear war survivors. None, they were protesting something, and they have moving staircases. This must be the new reality. <laughs> yeah. It it's escalated called, them up. Well, it elevates them. It's called – in their movie, it's called an elevator elevates you <laughs> higher a step at a time. 
Wait, what's this escalator? Um, anything? So, okay. No, if, look, he's got this whammy jammy machine that if you're upset, you'll get super upset. It's called an escalator. <laughs> oh, the future. I mean, I, I really would love to see a, a original copy of this to see what it looks like if it was yeah. too video-y with yeah. the light outside. Yeah. Now, he was like, fuck this place, I'm never coming back. And he's like, George, great to see you, and you're early. Right? Right, so it's 11.45. He lays down and says, come on, let's go. Let's stream, come, come on. on. He goes, you have an appointment or something? Rem me up. Yeah, let's go, rem me up. He knows Heather's coming. Oh, cool. I have seen Willard. Have you from the seventies? And Ben, mm -hmm. I guess, is the sequel. I don't know if he was in Ben. I remember. No, it was Ben. Ben, ben was first, right? Because they had Michael Jackson yes. as a kid singing this. I am you, you and me, we are us. Ben, I left you in I don't know a trap. I haven't seen that movie in a while. All right, I guess I'm gonna see that movie again now that we're talking about it. About it. So, uh, there's see. a remake with Crispin Glover. Oh, I think it was I like Willard. That. Willard was the first one. Had this guy, Bruce. Yeah. There was a sequel, Ben, and I think young Michael Jackson sang the theme song to the sequel to a rat movie. And then <laughs> there was a remake of Willard with Crispin Glover in the two thousands. That one I saw and I enjoyed, and I loved how Ben rebelled. You know, he was like, "Ben, you, you what the fuck?" Oh, maybe, maybe Ben's the first one, and Willard's the sequel. There's, there was two rat movies with the different names of the rats. Okay, so all I know is Willard in 1971. I have heard of the sequel, Ben. I think Willard must be the first one. Okay. What a slimy name, and I think that was totally on purpose. You know, Willard. It's like Willie gives you the willies, you know? Oh, right. Well, you know, sometimes you see a movie and the movie does the title is always the name of the character. And you're like, I don't know who Larry Crown is. Why should I give a rat's ass? Yeah. Like, whoa, they made a movie about Tammy Moot out of my way. So when you find <laughs> out Willard is a rat, you're like, oh, cool. <laughs> no, Willard is his name. His name is. Oh, it's the boy's name. Oh, wait. Yes. So... And his rat's name is Ben. Right. Uh, Willard Styles is his name in the film. Yeah, and Ben was the an, uh, uh, antagonist rat. So I guess Ben was the sequel then. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, so now he's talked all about what the whammy jammy machine does, and she's ready to observe. And look at these space aids buttons. Yeah, they're so modern. This, if this was, I mean, you know, they're so modern that I, my kids no grew clue. up with those. Yeah. It's so I futuristic. No I have no clue what the symbols mean or why they you need it. He's ready to accept a suggestive dream. Now, not effective, suggestive. With her, with his attorney right behind him. Now he says, "Last time you were here, you were telling me about something that bothered you very much: overpopulation." That's not true. That comes out of the doctor. I want you to dream of a world without overpopulation. That's what he's doing. That's genocide. He's worse than Thanos, Carl. Well, not worse. Equal. He is Thanos. Yeah. When I say Antwerp. 
I told you I got to ask for a refund after I saw the movie Avengers Endgame. Yeah, I, that's right. But it doesn't work. The joke doesn't work because right. you're not in a movie. You're not in a movie. Nobody would expect that. All right. Thank you, audience member, for explaining why that joke never worked. <laughs> <laughs> you should say something like, um, I was so upset that, like, you know, I took my wife to see. I was hoping when Thanos snapped his finger, I'd only have the one ticket charge. There, there you go. I something had a 50% like chance. Usually you fix my jokes. Okay, now, due to budget, they couldn't show billions of people dying in a plague. So they did this metaphor. They have him dreaming of dining at a table. There's Dr. Haber, and right. it seems like he's in the dream, but he's not. Of course, you know, George must be dreaming him, but but throughout the drama, throughout the scene, he acts like the Dr. Haber we know. So look, he's people are going to start to get old and die. Oh. I thought they just threw, like, fishnets over him. Yeah, look, the doctor's right. picking up on it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like he's dreaming the doctor, so they're in the room, and they're he's definitely the doctor is kind of pushing this along. Yes. He's, yeah. We can't afford millions of people dying or slow. We the best PBS can do is throw a fish net over people over dinner. <laughs> now these guys, I you know they were trying hard. They were yeah. trying hard, you know, and. They did this 1972 film together called Between Time and Timbuktu, and it was based on oh. the Vonnegut book. One guy's from Canada, one guy's from New York. Um, ABC After School Specials. This was their golden time in which they got to work on TV Lab for PBS and make cool films like this. This is a cool film. I mean, you don't really expect a TV movie to have this. Uh, yeah, well. this is like a, you know film that would permit ah no i killed people uh, uh, L -M -O -Y -T. L -W -A -L -W -A -L the Whoa. translation would say incoherent mumbling oh dallas <laughs> uh, where is half the population you bastard They're okay, right? Well, that's the thing. They both know that it happened. Okay? Now, it used to be before you didn't know. So if right. you're in the same room with the guy, you do know. There's a little hole in Le Guin's plot here. I don't know. It adds a little nuance to it because they're culpable. And, I again, the Dreamer has the upper hand because Dreamer can pull shit while whammy-jammy on them and they won't be aware of it. You know, you can't tame the devil, Carl. Well, okay, I understand why you say that, and I think you're right, if you could control your dreams. George can't really, he just, okay, overpopulation. So in his brain, he thinks, well, a plague would take care of that. You know, he didn't do oh. it on purpose, and he's upset with himself now. What have I done? Yeah, because he asked him to dream something horrific. Well, he didn't. He said overpopulation, right? If less people were having babies, I mean, it didn't have to be. You killed them. Okay. Uh, obviously, it was saying, like, kill them. Well, what if you dreamed that um, 
people were infertile or what if you dream that you had to have a license to have a baby and you had to get Maybe a license to have a baby because at least that's not a dream it's a dream you know there, there's ways not to kill everyone and fight overpopulation sure. this is more the result than the process i guess yes the result is don't have an overpopulation now george is pit uh dr haber is pissed you sick bastard you should go to therapy the plague ended five years ago. We are the survivors. Life must go on. You remember the plague, don't you? Look at Heather. She's emotionally distraught. Does she remember the plague? No. I guess she does. But does she remember the world without the plague? Yes, it seems. Why else would she be freaked out? Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be like, good morning, George. The plague? It's The plague's over. It's good times, you know? <laughs> Crazy. Well, put him back to sleep. Dream that you had dinner with more guests and wake up. I'm sorry if you found this distressing, Miss Lalash. Goodbye. See you in court. <laughs> See you in court. So they're all like shell shocked. Yeah, you know. but who would I'm have acting. thought? I'm acting. Ooh, what? Mulligan. Hey, you well, know that we last really did it this time, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Right. Wait, Mulligan is like do-over or something? What's yeah, Mulligan? right. Yeah, when you're playing golf and you hit it like the Mulligan. Six million people wiped off the face of the earth. What do you want me to say? I want you to be straight with me. You know. Go home, George. Take responsibility for what you did. What I did! Do they have to go back in time like in the Avengers other movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's two Avengers movies, right? There's Infinite War and, and other movie. Infinite War. Another movie, right. Yeah. The Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe presents Avengers, the other movie. We now resume where we last left off. Oh, I can't believe that happened. Damn it. What did Damn. it happen? What if we made it happen again? Tony Stark won't go for that. Tony Stark, no. He doesn't want to lose his daughter. Very selfish, actually. Well, don't forget, he created Ultron and, and wrecked the yep. shit up. So yep. he is very selfish. It, was, it wasn't on purpose, but he did make Ultron happen. Yeah. What are they going to do now? Docs have any ideas? They got to go back in Dreamland, right? Well, no, but there will be another dream in which the doctor's like, you got to go back in Dreamland, and, and, and he won't. George won't do it. So he's like, I'm attempting to make the world a better place, and my dreams have destroyed the world at the same time. Is it really a better place? It's like supposed to be deep, and maybe we should be listening. Sure. Four years ago, April. Okay, four years ago, April, that was that nuclear bomb. Remember? You're worn out, George. You better go home and get some rest. The session's over. You go home. <laughs> now, I don't get George, like, why? I mean, he is a beta personality, but... 
I see what you're saying. He tries to be alpha and he accuses him of stuff, but he always gets shut down with things like, go home now. That's what shuts you down. What, you what other choices does he have? He's going to force the doctor to go back into dreamscape and, and resolve everything? Well, at this point, I was wondering why they didn't try to undo it. Yeah, immediately. Right. Because that, and then that will happen later. I'm acting. I'm acting. <laughs> okay, PBS, for my character's sake, I want to look out at the barren landscape. Uh, how about if you just look out the window? And so, see. Like, there was this April nuclear explosion, and somehow that's always floating out there in the ether. And at right, the end right. of the film, like, the doctor will see it with his own eyes. Like, it's unclear. Do people remember that it happened or it never happened because he dreamed it away? But then at the end of the film, he'll reveal that that's when it starts. Uh, meanwhile, he told that story about the aunt, which was before the nuclear explosion. I don't get how this plot all goes together. But and the you've nuclear... seen this multiple times. This is my fourth time. Yeah. And that's why I know there's holes in the plot more than I figured out what they were at as a reviewing. I'm sure the novel goes into real, you know, yeah. real depth. It must. And um, the screenwriters, let's see. They did. They now, were the like... writers, here are the writers. Um, Diane English, we already talked about a little bit, best known for creating Murphy Brown. Uh, and the 2000, she directed in 2008 a feature called The Woman. Uh, oh, I saw that movie. It's a, it's a remake of the movie The Women, which was this screwball comedy that had a whole female cast. And her oh. version was good. It was fun. Okay, maybe I'll also write that one down. Should I see that one? If you see the original, you're going to like it. Like the one from okay, the 30s. Okay, the original. Yeah. And then, you know, call if you want to see a remake. It's not bad. Okay, not 2008. She started her career at WNET PBS affiliate in New York, working as a story editor uh, for the Theater America series, then an associate director of TV Lab. And she wrote a monthly column on television for Vogue uh, from 77 to 80. And she wrote this and she got a Writers Guild nomin Award nomination. Okay, she didn't win. Uh, but she won Emmys for Murphy Brown. Right. Okay, now this is a bit of a lull or a lag in the plot. They got rid of people. Heather wanders off. Uh, she can't call... George, she doesn't know where he is. She wants to talk to him. Now we're having a confrontation. Why don't we listen this time? He's going to admit that he knows it's effective for him. I just wanted time to sort things out. Yes. I know about your dreams. I've known for quite some time. Now, his reaction is strange to me. He goes, thank you for being honest. Yeah, of I'm going to strangle you. Manipulating me, yeah. So you think he's a beta, not an alpha dog? Yes, he's a beta. Now he's I walking don't... away, and he's like, "You've got a great gift," and he's go, "Don't you understand? We're not doing this anymore." George went through some sacrifices too. He only has a third story office now. Right. Right. 
All right, let's listen. It's man's mission to build a better world. Things don't have purposes. I don't know if life has a purpose. I can't say that it matters. It is. We are. That's an Earth. That's a Taoism kind of Ursula Le Guin thing. George, I know they just threw it right in there. Well, she, she, it's in her book, I'm sure. It was also Porky's. It might not be her idea. <laughs> she didn't like Porky's. <laughs> no, Porky's would come later. This was written in 71. Porky's was in 80. Gotcha. Taoism influenced Porky's. What? Porky's influenced Ursula Le Guin's Taoism. I can't let you use me. You go, girl. That's it. Stand up for yourself, George. You need me. Don't you know that? Without me. <laughs> yeah. Without me, you're nothing, George. Oh, look at him. What an asshole. Vulcan death grips him every time. Now, what does it mean? Why are we cutting away? You know in a film that one scene should lead to the other. And if it's an abrupt True. cut, there's a reason. Like, meanwhile, back at the lab, you know. But there's some television floors, there's an exterior shot or like no, but, a no, but okay, we were in the hall, he falls down, I'm not doing this anymore. Now he's in the couch getting whammy jammied again. Yeah, you've watched pornography, they're talking in the hall, they cut to a painting on the wall, then, that's then a good they're, point. they're in the office doing it. You're right, I do accept that in pornography. Why wouldn't I accept it here? <laughs> it's, it's a seminal science fiction uh, PBS work. <laughs> Louch. This was only filmed in two weeks. Really? That, that's very yeah. impressive. Dallas City Hall, the Tandy Center Fort Worth, Hyatt Regency Dallas and Reunion Tower, Dallas Fort Worth International Airport, the Dallas Fort Worth Water Gardens. Wow. A vacated mobile oil building in Fort Worth. Uh, Dallas was also used for this kind of futuristic look for uh, RoboCop and Logan's Run. Right, that's right. And, uh, and that was supposed to be Detroit. In RoboCop. Right. Now, look. He wants to dream peace on Earth, right? right? Now, what would unite peace on Earth more than aliens invading? So oh, unify. He, dreams, he dreams of... Right, we would unify to go... So he dreams of aliens attacking their moon base. Oh, not our moon base. Yeah, we have our a moon base? base. We got well. Yeah, we saw it in um, uh, what's that movie? Nailed. Uh, oh right, nailed. Yeah, we saw the the moon base that'll keep us un non blowed up. Yeah, that's right. Keeps us safe and non blowed up. That's a good. Okay. That's a good pull, Carl. Now Haberman's like. I mean, Dr. Haber's like, I told you to dream of world peace. Not that aliens attack the moon. <laughs> now they're all freaked oh, out. Okay. Battle in space. Alien forces attacking the Earth colony on the moon. We got to give like a co-starring credit, screen credit to the window of this office because they're constantly <laughs> staring at it. That's right. I'm acting. I'm, I'm acting. DC was now outside. It's I unbelievable. Can't... I'm cracking up! Look out the window! You dare. So this is another example of Haber's trying to do a nice thing and the dream has a negative bend. 
So now he's like, you must go and dream it away, George. Dream it away right now. And George is like, don't you understand? Whatever else I'm going to dream, it's not going to work out like they just dream away. Better it's just like leave what bedazzled. What movie bedazzled? Oh, no, there's no more movie bedazzled. You dreamed it away, George. I love that Peter film. Cook. The Brendan Fraser. How can Brendan Fraser remake something that's never been made, George? Elizabeth Hurley's been waiting in her trailer. There's no film to remake. Lay down, lay down, dream it back. I want Dudley Moore. Peter Cook, Wimpy's hamburger. Quick. You wake up, the aliens are evading the Earth. You idiot. But well, at least we got bedazzled back. <laughs> well, that is a good point, George. But still, the aliens. We watch her copy of uh, Bedazzled, which now is willed into existence. Lay back down and wait. Dream away, Brenda Starr instead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so. I say so because I just want to know what's next. The aliens came. Well, the aliens are on the moon. They didn't come to oh, Earth. Right. Oh, that's thank God. Important. Yeah, thank God. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> what about. You dream them here. Is there going to be a moonfall in this movie? Is, the moon gonna fall? is there a moonfall in this movie? No, his imagination is not that crazy. He'd dream about the moonfall. Okay, so Heather's on the lookout for um, George. I don't know why. Like, George isn't upstairs. You know where he is. So the landlord will essentially say he's at his summer home that he won in a government lottery. We get that said earlier. He has a summer, he has a like a, a ho home by a lake that he won in a government lottery. I, I don't get it. This was before, like, Dreamland. Nice photos of your kids. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's really you. Do you have any photos of your children? <laughs> oh, look at my wallet. They're laminated. Now, this film was a big hit on PBS. It was one of their highest-rated shows ever. But it had to get shelved. Uh, it... it Okay, let's see. I think it went to where is it? Where is it? It got it won a Hugo Award. That's um, science fiction. Okay, after its initial broadcast in 1980, Lathe was occasionally showed over the next eight years. But PBS rights to rebroadcast expired in 1988. Then they have a Beatles song in here. I get hot by with a little help from my friends, and it plays into the plot. Right. And like I don't know, whoever, Michael Jackson, whoever owned the Beatles things were like, nah, uh, uh you can't use that shit. You got to pay us. So they worked out a deal where they paid them much less money to have another artist record. Yes. And so that's why this thing was shelved. That was, deal was struck in 2000 and this came back. Oh, that's great. So this version would probably have, well, I don't know. Yes, it will have the other version. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of dangerous. Television didn't really figure that out with with uh, songs because they were able to get the rights for that broadcast, you know? Well, they didn't have the rights at the time. It's just that the Beatles didn't say shit. Right. Yeah. And then in then they the in 1988, the thing, it just expired. And then they were going to go to re-up that and the Beatles people uh, the Beatles had to negotiate a special agreement with the composer of the film score, a deal with the Beatles recording ep out, uh, which is an integral plot point 
A cover vision, a version replaces the Beatles' own recording, which would have taken too long to clear and cost an arm and a leg. 20 years because of a copyright issue. Once the issue was resolved, the film was cleaned up. Two-inch quadruplex videotape? I don't know. It was rebroadcast and released to DVD with an interview of Ursula Gwynn by Bill Moyers. Wow. Which aired with the rebroadcast. And I already told you about how the original was lost. Yeah. Yeah, so. You know, so out, of all, out of all the bands you could pick, you pick the Beatles. A song for the Beatles is pretty ballsy because that's well, that something in, will bite you back. Earth, uh, it was in the book because it right. fit into the plot. Uh, I don't know. Okay, so now they're making a big fucking mistake. They're like, we don't need this doctor. We'll just dream everything peacefully. I'll hypnotize yeah. it. But it's the same thing, of course. He's going to dream whatever he dreams. They, like, spilled mercury on the ground. Don't worry about it. I got it. I'll pick it up. I guess maybe not mercury. So he goes, dream about, the you know, like, the world being nice and a healthy place and everything is okay and there's no more aliens on the moon. Tomorrow, when you <gasps> you will feel rested and well. Now. Go now she doesn't say Antwerp. That's the keyword. Oh, right. So he's never going to come out. This is like, you know, things are bad when Leonardo DiCaprio shows up in your dream. <laughs> now we're going to see a little bit of Dick. Now we're All only right. going to see it for one second, and it's just the little cap of the head. Okay, okay. so be on the lookout for Dawn. Mushroom cloud. Right. Now this is Bruce Davison's dong. It's for real. Okay. Now he we're going to see. PBS. We're going to see the sea turtle again, and after the sea turtle cuts away, he's going to get up, and we'll see the dong. Okay, here we go. Here All we right. go now. He's getting up, and when he, he's getting up, All right. watch his crotch area. Okay, that's the second turtle. Watch and... his oh, there it is. Good, Scott. Wow. Did you it? I did. Although I was looking at his ass, too. I think it must be impressive. Okay, this is the alien. Oh, for who invaded the moon base? Yes, this is his dream. Now, look where they're coming. They're coming to Earth? Yeah! To Pittsburgh? You idiot! To Portland. Oh, Portland. I don't know where they're coming. They're invading the Earth, and we're going to... We're going to try to battle them. Is this the West Germany footage, maybe? Yeah, maybe. From PBS West Germany. Look at that effect. They just did a saucer, just light. I've, I've seen better ELO covers. Yeah, that's right. That's a good call. Chicago uh, has a better UFO on their cover. So now it's like, wake up, wait. Now, check out this wacky-ass car outside. Now, it's so 70s, but it's so 70s trying to look modern. So I think that's why they used it. See it? Yeah, it's a little compact sports car. Sports like... car? No, Michael. That's no smart sports car. It's like a smart car kind of thing. Oh, I see. It looks like a sneaker from the 70s. A what? A sneaker? A sneaker. Yeah, yeah. It was, I think, it was a book... Uh... 
they mentioned that like the try i think it was a lampoon thing that the car looked like a sneaker so now they're saying they have to go to haber because okay on the radio we're hearing that we have anti-defense anti anti-alien bombs but they have a device that can control the bombs and bl they bl they're blowing them up blowing themselves up oh no so there's no hope for earth there is no hope for earth and the escalator is out of order now they're running it's well it's temporarily stairs uh, as uh, what's that comedian would say mitch hedberg Mitch yeah. Hedberg there. so they're running to see now why do they think they need to see haberman you see He's i told you this would happen. but haberman, haberman doesn't know he wasn't in the room when he dreamt it i'm sorry i mean haber yeah that's a good point mike that's a good point i had let that go in the point of that plot right point at this point it. yeah because you're suspending disbelief because it's hard but you know what? Honestly, he must understand. It's like a Russian doll that he's aware of certain changes, but there's certain changes that he might not be aware of. So if okay. whenever this guy approaches him and says, you know, Willard says, uh, hey, there's something up with Ben, he's going to have to take him at face value because he may yeah. not know something that may have occurred. So he just thinks there's an alien invasion. George walks in the door and he goes, you're behind this, you dummy. Oh, you mean the aliens attacking the Earth and not our moon base? It's always been that way. Look how they skip the step of make yourself comfortable, lie prone. Just fucking we go know, to sleep, We bitch. know. Well, we have to get to the news hour at 10, so they got to wrap Okay, now, up. turn it on. He's dreaming peace, and an alien shows up. Of course, finally someone shows up. The alien saying... We are peaceful. Exterminate. No, it's not a civilian. You're supposed to be an alien. Well, well, mission accomplished. They're nice aliens now. Don't play games with me. So what did he do? He dreamt the alien to come over? He dreamt that the aliens were nice. Yeah, he dreamt the alien would come over, I guess, and talk yeah. to Haber. This guy in his dreams has caused nuclear disaster, uh, a, a plague, a, plague. A, a moon destruction, yeah. and alien contact. Now, what occurred to me, like, the second time I watched this film is there's no – it's not – they're not real aliens. Like, this doesn't mean there's life on other planets. He dreamed it, you know? Right. We don't know where they're from. So he's being an asshole to Haber. And then he's, he's like, don't you have someone to call? And Haber's like, yes, of course. They're peaceful. They're peaceful. Who's he calling? Secretary Shikowsky, please, Bill Haber. Secretary Shifkovsky. Hello, dream, please. Listen, listen. listen. Hello, dream, please. Listen, Matt, about this alien thing. I think I've gotten it figured out. Yeah, that's what I wanted you to hear. It's a little dumb, right? About this alien thing. Always scheming for himself. I think I've got it figured out. They're peaceful, you know. Now, look, he shows up with orderly. Like, yeah. He's like, 
done fucking around. Like, George, no more of, you know, you're doing what I say now. You're going to dream what I fucking tell you. Or he's going to get a massage from those guys. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's one thing I like about movies. The, the male orderlies, like in uh, uh-huh. Long Weekend, they're always like these big guys that take no shit, right? Like, right. they're always, you know, that's their job. Action movies like the the henchmen, you know they're dispens- indispensable. They're gonna get a bullet in the eyes, but these guys, you can't yeah, fuck with these guys. That's right. You're not going to kill them. You no. might best them at some point in the plot, but mo- throughout most of the film, remember in uh, Buckaroo Banzai, he was like, "Laugh while you can, monkey boy." <laughs> remember that? <laughs> yeah, that's the only cow. time the orderly was like, "Hey, maybe, <laughs> maybe I just got warned about something." That's good. He was a good orderly. That guy was a uh, Better Call Saul guy, uh, Mike. Oh, that's right. That's right. The, Herman the, Trout. The, yeah. Yeah. Young. A young guy, uh, Mike. So, this must be West Germany? I, I doubt it. I think it's Dallas. But he's saying, I now almost know how to cure you and how to make your effective dreams go away. Okay, so just a few more sessions and I'll have, you know, because I've been monitoring your brain as you get the whammy jammy. Okay, Ursula Le Guin, uh, best known for her works on speculative fiction, including science fiction's work set in her universe, Earthsea fantasy series, first published in 1959. Wow. Uh, I think I told you everything about her. I told you this only had $250,000 budget, released January 9. Um, January 9, 1980. Yes. God, that's so exciting. Is it? Why? Because it's like the 70s were over. And well, boom, it, they're kicking, you know, it's still 70s and stuff. It, but... Yeah, it, they were over in number only, right? I mean, right. there was a Yeah, this is like the brand new month. Listen, if the world was perfect, uh, 1960 to 1969 would have been the hippies. Right. Right? 70 to 75 would have been like... Uh, uh, oh, splitting the decade up. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like the hippies were around from like 66 to they 75. Don't forget beatniks, man. Beatniks became hippies. Yeah, that's right. Begat. Begat. It was, right. You're exactly... It was the early 60s scene. The numbers just fall when they fall, you right. know. It would have it, in 1980. It should have been Jimmy Carter in the White House with Battle of the Network Stars, and it just doesn't. Oh, that's his birthday, by the way. George Orr, the real actor. Oh, um, it, is that interesting? The internet thought it was interesting. I think that's interesting. He's in great physical shape. Obviously, this is not the first time his shirt's off. <laughs> <laughs> And we saw yeah. the bone. We saw him mushroom cap. We saw everything about Bruce. We saw his mushroom cap. Okay, so he's dreaming again. And like this time, I forget what he suggested. What did he suggest? Oh, what is an interruption? Focal. Right. Damn it. Yeah. He's trying to fight me. He's trying to fight me. Patient resisting. In case I don't realize it's saying on the screen. That chicken brain of yours. That's what he said. 
Take him down all the way. So I remember why I don't know. He didn't suggest yet. What he's about to suggest after George is under control because he's resisting is a world with no racial troubles. Everyone's homogenized into like the same race. Okay, turn it up because here's our the title of our film. No, George. But you leave me no choice. You leave me no choice. You leave me no choice. Those who heaven helps, we call the sons of heaven. They do not reason by using reason. Those who cannot attain it will be destroyed on the lake of heaven. The lake of heaven. That's our. I get you. Pretty heavy stuff. I guess probably in the book it was. Here it seems a little. Well, if you read, if if we actually read Ursula Le Guin's stuff and came in on the show, we'd be like, this book. I'll tell you that this book went this direction, this book went right. that direction, and it was a fan service when they quoted this line directly, even though it didn't work as a movie. It was cool to see it from the book. Now I care about research for this show, but I'm not reading the Lathe of Heaven by Ursula Le Guin in the Earthsea series to get ready. Oh yeah, you have to read the entire series to get ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's funny is the night that this was first broadcast on PBS, there's this major power outage in the Pacific Northwest. You know, oh, she could oh, not God. watch her own film. Take that, Mount Hood was did not want to get <laughs> snuffed. Oh, look at this uh, Star Trek, right? Now, this is all Twilight Zone too. This this idea of wish fulfillment and it's got awful consequences. Now, look, I don't think it's very good. They're all gray, but clearly we have African American and Asian people, right? But so they're gray. Everyone's really, gray. But it didn't make race go away. They're just oh, all gray. That. So now it would be where you come from, not your color. It would be. I think the film falls short there. They should have made some like ethnically ambiguous people gray. I think. Do you so what's but in this film right now in the story, is is there like a caveat to this or like everything's good now? No, everything's good in terms of the races. He's cured, and and as he's walking him out, he's going to say, "I have a surprise for you. I know how to effectively dream. I'll be the dreamer going forward, and look at all our progress." We've eliminated overpopulation, and we have eliminated the race problem. Now, they spray-painted, I'm not kidding, that spray-paint 600 extras for this segment. All right, I'm looking forward to the spray-painted 600. I don't think I've seen a film ever do that. You know, this guy, the doctor is bad news, man, right? I mean, he yes. sounds like a fa eubonics fascist, you know, just... Dallas, Dallas, Dallas. 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 Ebonic. Uh, eubonic. Wait, eugenics. No, eugenics. Eugenics. Like, eugenics. Yeah. Well, okay, look, I he's our bad guy, but I don't agree with you that he's a eugenics person. He was trying to get rid of the he thinks he's trying to get rid of the world's problems of overpopulation and racism. So he wasn't a eugenic. Well, no, but he I think he's a fascist. I think like even for the good intentions, it's caused a single minded like his he's gonna do it. 
you know, and right. and then we see what happens, and, and then uh, it's always a miscalculation, a yeah. misfire. So you think he's a fascist? Which I think I think he's like really the bad guy. Yeah, like this okay. is like his good intentions. He did he does it for what he feels are good intentions, but he's such a like the fact that he's the one who's going to do it, and he's using like it's megalomaniac. Guy. Yeah. Welcome to Dr. Haver's Palace of Dreams. Congratulations, George. You're the man of the hour. Let's listen to the whole thing. Don't tell uh, me. Don't say the whole thing. I know I've been working very hard, but I think you'll agree it's been well worth the effort. Yeah. Megalomaniac. Though so I don't think I can take another big day. George, today I've cured you. Ta-da! You'll no longer have effective teams. Look how George doesn't believe it. Yeah. Quite simple. You have had your last effective dream. Bullshit. Bullshit. You dreamt you lost the ability to dream. looks like Matt Berry. What? Who's Matt Berry? From the vampire movie? The British guy? Oh, I don't know why I laughed. He looks like Dr. Zayas to me. Yeah. That outfit. Now check out what he says next. In fact, when I begin to dream, then the first thing I'm going to get rid of. You're gonna begin to dream? Is that what you've been up to all this time? Right, George. Burden is now off your shoulders. And on to yours. Now here's why you're right, Mike. Watch how he reacts to this. Have you listened to me, George Orr? You come into my office with the greatest power that mankind has ever known. And all you want to do is to be cured. The dreams don't work. They go wrong. Well, there's nothing wrong with the dreams, with my the friend. Dreams. The problem lies it's with the, the dreamer! The dreamer. Unlike me, who's going to know what he's doing. Well, now, George, you must be tired. Uh. Go to your room. One of those. Go home. Go home. Go home. You're exhausted. Here. I'll use this vertical escalator to get us down. Great invention, this Ooh. vertical escalator. But it's de-escalating us right now, Doctor. I don't understand. You know what the worst part of going in those glass elevators is? Is when uh, Captain America is there with Hydra soldiers. You're like, yeah. it's really awkward at that moment. Hell Hydra. It's an awkward ride. Yeah. Yeah. I liked in that when he's like, does anyone want to get out? Now, that was a different one, though. That was... Uh... An elevator. Yeah, who was who was it? It was um, Mr. Handsome. He was the senator. All right, never mind. Right. Robert Redford. Oh, Mr. That's right. Frank Grillo. Okay. I don't believe this number adds up to 600 extras. Do you? What's painted in behind them? They're spray painted. They're all their body. That They're is red. bizarre. That's their response. Yeah, what racism was to make everyone the, the same race. The greatest numb. To be progress, the greatest George. Progress. Let's listen. Let's listen. Was made in the past six thousand years. Well, do you think with all of this progress, you can help me to find Heather? Who? Who? Heather Lebox, the my my attorney. Oh yes, 
Okay, you can stop listening now because um, uh, we missed it. I wanted to sh prove you right. How he is, like, his intentions are good, but his he's conceited and he thinks he's the only one who can do it. So it's megalomania-ish. Megalomania. And it's at the expense of human, you know, of, yes. of humanity. Every yeah, decision he's made. Yeah, you know his overpopulation was to kill half the people. Yeah, but I... in fairness to him, and he's our bad guy. I don't really want to be fair to him, but in fairness to him, he did not tell G George to dream. He just told him to get rid of overpopulation. Right. And you say, of... what else yeah. could he do but kill people? But I'm telling you, there could be some other scenarios. I went through a few of them. Why are those people standing around like soldiers? They're spray painted, right? Yes. That is weird. Why use 600 people? Why not use extras over and over? They're in different scenes. They are the best uh, background actors I've seen in a movie. <laughs> yeah, actually, speaking of Marvel movies, they could spend a, save a pretty penny with the spray paint. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe shoot outside Georgia while they're at it. Uh, yeah, walking down the street. Does he have a car at least in this world? Uh, we won't see him in a car, but he is going to get to his um, home. ocean home again. Uh, sea, seaside. Okay, so now he is in a shop that's run by an alien. Look, it's they make a joke of junk. It's like a secondhand store, but a curiosity shop, and it's run by an alien. I do apologize for talking over you, Carl, because when he was talking about what what exactly did he do to the aliens? It sounds like he kind of pushed them out, right? No, he made them peaceful. They still invaded, but he turned it so that they were nice. Gotcha. And they were misunderstood. And then Dr. Haber called Washington to say, they're peaceful. Stop killing them, I guess. Okay, George Orr. How did you know what Field of perception is mutual. Do you wish an object? You wish now, an object? Please continue this activity. Now he's going to suggest an object that will help George. How does he know? How Let's does listen. It? Do you see Yes, I've lost her. Person solved can be found. This is a 45 of, guess which song? Oh, Yesterday, from the movie Yesterday. <laughs> Correct. Thank you very much. Clarity is pleasurable. Clarity is pleasurable. With a little help from my friends. My alien buddy? That in the book, it's well explained why the aliens, they say something, but it's they don't hit the mark, you know? They convey a message that I see what you're trying to say, alien, you know, clarity right. is pleasurable. What? Okay. So when things are understood, we feel good. I, okay. I guess. It is a nice sussies using the Beatles. I'm sure like hippies like to always stick with hippie stuff. Let's but... listen. Maybe we'll get a copyright violation. Turn it on. It's the cover version. You're egging this on. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's John. Really... That's John with no H. John Lennon with no H. Singing. That's John McCartney. Yeah, singing. John McCartney. <laughs> George Sarah on guitar drum. 
Now he's dreaming, dreaming. Doesn't Ricky Preston come on and, and join them on piano? Uh, no, uh, yeah, what's, is that his name? Uh, Billy, it's Billy Preston. Billy Preston, right, right, right. The fifth Beatle, not. Murray the K was a fifth Beatle, too. Yeah, everybody wants to say they're the fifth Beatle, including Pete Best. Pete Best, right. Well, you know, Pete Best had a solo album called Best of the Beatles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God bless him. It isn't Pete better. Okay, so now he's dreaming Heather back into his life. And I guess he undoes the gray because she's African-American and he's white again. And they're married. You know what? I just realized the doctor said go home. Yeah. And he goes home and after a long day, he dreams and he dreams that. He... And it's effective. Yeah. Could have locked them up. Super effective. It reminds me of Pokemon. Really? How so? Uh, in Pokemon, you like, you do a move and they do a move, and your move is super effective, so it beats the other guy. That's the. Gotcha. It's a turn-based battle. I only know that from kids, you know, from having sure. kids and they're playing Pokemon, and I see it on TV. You ever secretly root for Team Rocket? Oh, like no, I'm Team win. Rocket. Sure, hashtag Team Rocket. I they mean, have the you, best sound. They sound like Snagglepuss. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, Meowth could be from Jersey, right? You hear? I would have a beer with Meowth. You hear his Meowth accent? Meowth is from Jersey, yeah. Bergen County. Yes, he is hot. I'm Team Rocket, man. They have, like, New Jersey feeling to it. Yeah, they got, they got vibe. Okay, now, they're happy and married and all is right with the world. So what could go wrong? Well, Haber could start trying to effectively dream. Now, this is weird, and it hasn't been introduced in the film before. Haber's gonna dream. He's not dreaming yet. But, like, the wind starts blowing, and their, their curtains around, and they feel uneasy. They're just getting their spider sense tingling. Right. But Haber's up to no good. That's so a they good analogy. Yeah. Because I feel like he's Spider-Man. <laughs> and then Dr. Octopus took Spider-Man, which is actually true in this comics. I'll stop, though, for you. But uh, general, maybe Spider-Man is not a good example. But basically, oh, he... By the way, Mike, I just... Okay, go ahead. But no, I, go ahead. I, I know they're doing it now. I got to say it now. Turn up the sound. These two actors are truly sexually aroused right now. Yes, they're acting. They're acting, but they're loving it. Check it out. You can hear the tender kissing. Let's listen. Now you were in the middle of a thought. Go ahead. The spider sense is tingling. I can, it's kind of hard. Well, he's trying to replicate a Spider-Man. Uh -huh. But we can't have two Spider-Mans in the universe. It's going to fuck shit up. Oh, it's not no, a good analogy at all. No, you'd have to like get Doctor Strange to undo a tangle. Well, he's a dreamer. Like the doctor who is overseeing the dreamer is trying to be a dreamer himself. And the yes. dreamer's world is rocked. It's actually boner killing the moment it's now they're away the... they're oh, running yeah. to stop haverman she's like george i'm scared i haven't felt this anything like this before and he's like i did four years ago in april when we had a nuclear explosion and she's like what are you talking about it's like nobody remembers oh you think haverman's going to cause a nuclear explosion because he doesn't know. i don't think so no i 
I mean, yes, I guess, but I don't understand the plot at this point. They just got a feeling. Haberman's not even dreaming yet. But that's the thing. Like, he's a genuine dreamer, the other guy. So he's that's the reason why his world is getting this wind blown. It's just like because it's like his radar's up for it. Yeah, his radar's up. His his radar is up. <laughs> Here he is in the nuclear explosion. He's trying to explain to Heather right now. What happened four years ago? That's when everything started, he's claiming. When was the day after? That was like in 81, right? So this is. That was a movie about, yeah, post nuclear war. We'll be holding at the station for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> God damn it. Dr Apparently. Dream, dream an express train, George. <laughs> I guess this is all Dallas or Fort Worth. It might be the airport. The oh, airport. yeah, this could be the airport. Now, I've been to Dallas Airport. I forget what it's called, DFW, something like that, uh, many, many times. But, of course, this is in 79. Right, it must be different. They didn't really have much rocks and fires back then. Look I mean, at the phone booth. I run, ring, ring. He'll check it for quarters because... Because <laughs> society's broken down. He's going to go in there and someone's going to knock on the booth. Hey, buddy, can you hurry up? I got to call my wife, tell her I survived. Oh. So just like he says now, since that day, I've been trying to tell myself that that day was just a dream. But no, this is the dream. So is are we in George's dream this whole time? Or is it the doctor's dream the whole time with George? Well, the doctor's starting to dream now for the first time. You see, he went under right, that. Right, that's what he's saying. So this now he's like, dream. yeah, because he's like, Haberman! It doesn't pay off, though. Like, he's driving into the dream or something, and then they'll, they won't really confront each other, though. It doesn't make sense what he's dreaming or what happens but somehow he knows about the April nuclear disaster. Well, at one point he went for, he woke up, he was in reality, and now he's kind of entering the dream. Well, or maybe he never woke up. He, he's, uh, now look, we have lava stuff now. It doesn't right. make sense to me because it's supposed to be about nuclear war. And now we're going to see volcanoes and such. It makes total Other sense. The floor is lava. Okay. That's does that make sense? Floors lava. Um. Uh. Clearly, you think it makes sense to you. Uh. What is the floor is lava? That's the game where you can't touch the floor. The floor is lava, so you have to jump from the couch to a chair. Oh, I see. As a child, like, yeah, I remember that. Okay, so I guess he's in the dream right now, and they're sharing a dream space or something. Right. Yeah. I, I don't understand how this film ends and this, now this looks like an airport <laughs> now why he's getting up from his platform but he's like still in the dream now, you know, yeah they kind of fix the escalator PBS can't afford the escalator on <laughs> now this is a laser that was popular that came out in the 70s this laser light and we're going to see them in the tube of laser light for a while. And it's all because they didn't have much budget. 
Well, it still works, you know. Get the mm -hmm. moody music. They did what they needed to do. They did right. okay with the budget they had. So the only person who does the dreams is George. The doctor he goes to figures out how to harness it himself. So I yes. think what's happening is that because the two are connected in a way that their dream and reality are connecting because this is going to cause a nuclear annihilation. I think you're right. This well, is it's where going to cause it. I don't know if it's going to cause but it. You're because... right. Like he's been dreaming this is going to happen, and it might be revealed that this whole thing has been this dream, and now he's approaching the moment. Well, it won't get revealed because George will be back in reality with Heather. Is, is he going to stop the? Wow! Floor is lava, Doctor. Welcome to Fantasia. This is more like two dollars and one cent than two thousand one. Wow! No one explained what's going on here. This is stock footage from Kodak video cassette. No, no, this is done. This is stock footage. The lightning. It's yeah. This is like one of those weird hallways in some office building in Manhattan. You know, like they had like public light. Now, yeah. what's happening is, I guess, is Haber can't take it, and he's going to freak out, and then he's going to end up, like, institutionalized. I, I don't understand it. We're going to see this hand holding a, a, glow, a glowing globe or something. Now, look, they're together. Are they confronting? Yeah. They're about I to choke so. each other. I think they both reached a, a dream world. Uh as you said, like a neutral, uh, a mutual escape that they can yeah. uh, choke each They're other. They're in the dream together. Hi, hi. Oops. Now you see, there's this reflection of underneath, like he's cupping a. It looks like a globe, but it's really the laser light. I don't understand it. It must just be a sharper image for twenty minutes. Got that footage and ran. So. That's Somehow, that was a cathartic moment that's supposed to be explaining our film. It's an alien talking to him. So, he ends up, he isn't just a customer, he's like working in the store, I think. Oh, wow. I can't so say this all the time because the reality always warps. The alien is his boss. George, I wanted this by Tuesday. <laughs> Do you He's have the nice Haberman boss. report? Uh, I'm still working on it, boss. Now, Heather is browsing in a shop. She is a customer. And he's like, Heather? And she's like, do you know me? He doesn't know him. We met a long time ago. You're a lawyer, right? In this reality, yes. So, I gotta say, this is a dud the way the movie ends. It doesn't really resolve itself or explain itself. You know, I think the ending was supposed to be like 
Haber going against George. Maybe right. in that dreamscape, like you said. I was wondering if I could return the favor. I take it a bunch. Well, thank you, but I mean, if you have the time. Okay. So she's um, asked Heather out on a date. They're going right. to start walking to their uh, date, and who are they going to bump into? But Haberman. Correct. Thanks. Hey, boss, can I take a little trick? Yes. Listen, listen. Ah, oh, we missed it. Oh, what did he say? The alien goes, leaving means you must return. It's like, you know, you're okay, on the boss. clock, buddy. Take your lunch break, but... You must return. It means yeah. you must return. Haber? Dr. Haber? Hey, can you do me a Haber, Rand? Do me a Haber. What happened to Would you? Nobody seems to know exactly. He was on the verge of an enormous discovery. With his whammy jammy machine. A breakdown. Yeah. Ever since the night that everything fell apart, you know? And he goes, you saw the nuclear explosion. Listen, listen. Yeah. You've seen it, haven't you? The world after April. Now Haberman like snaps out of it for a second as if he's going to respond, but doesn't. Look at that hair acting. Now the nurse puts his arms on his shoulder and then he just says, ah, he's defeated again. Yeah. She doesn't want to, don't get him started. Right. Okay. Uh, you know who I am? I don't want it right now. I have this the power is... of infinite dreams, Haber. And, we... and, and Disney's the black hole, right? The villain wants to go in the black hole, and he does. And he and it's this hellscape where the villain is like the devil, and and right. they're they're going through purgatory, and they're going through the depths of hell, and they escape. Isn't that like the ending in a way that like it's what the doctor wanted? He wanted the ultimate power to to change everything, and but he, he couldn't triggers... handle it, and he. But the oh, secret is they want know. to get something to eat because they're starving. So they get hot dogs. From the alien. Two yeah, alien dogs. You want alien crowd on it? Yeah, a little bit. What about you? Uh can I have some alien red onions and uh relish? <laughs> alien yeah, relish. Yeah, alien relish. <laughs> this is the finest Venetian relish, sir. Oh yeah, no, I love it. Venetian relish works really well on these dogs. All right. Hey, Carl. Yeah. What did you think of this amazing movie? I'm unsettled. It didn't end. It didn't end right. It just said, like, our time is done, and we're going to stop now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm left, like, I was with Sorry, the whole much. film until his, the final dream sequence. I don't know what happened. I don't really know what happened in the final dream sequence. I think that's maybe for the benefit of the story that, like, it's the apocalypse. Like, they both pushed, it pushed to the point where George felt it. And George approached him saying, you're going to cause a nuclear war. You have, can't have to face it. This is what's going to happen. The doctor sees it and goes mental, but it causes, I don't know. I like this movie. I really do. I'll, I'll find the book, I guess. I haven't read a book all the way through in my life lately, but <laughs> uh, this might be the one. I, I really like this a lot. I, I feel like our show, a lot of movies we watch are really, really, really bad. So Yeah. This movie is beyond that. Like, I think it's above. The quality is really good. Like, it's a good movie, but I do agree with you. Like, it, it does 
kind of go unhinged at the end, and we don't really know what's going on. Oh, thank you, Tandy and Radio Shack. Yeah, that's right. A few different things in Texas, right, Tandy? Artware, Method of University. I suggested this because I saw it when I was a kid, and I remember it from that sexual scene, have and I remember liking it. I remember the eliminating race thing. Yeah. Did you get an erection watching this again? You could tell me. No. Uh, today we live in a world of internet pornography, and I did not get an oh, erection yeah. watching a smack in the face from a boob grab. No. I got to learn more about Ursula Le Guin. I, I always knew of her. I just never read her stuff. I never really yeah. read, you know, yeah. if it's a comic book, sure. Carl, thank you so much, man. Thank great you. research, great movie pick, great everything. I am now Thanks, going into a Ursula Le Guin rabbit hole and learn more. The more you know, I'm going to my local library. So we'll see you guys next Sunday. Till then, bye. Scaring me the whole time. I'm like, geez, I want to kiss you on the face. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like you were into it oh, for so a while. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, well, I love feeling feelings and Bible delving, feeling mm. one with the universe or something. I don't mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. Feeling is good. But mm -hmm. it's mostly because I just, I've always been an outsider and I. Good evening, and welcome to the Gates of Delirium. Two hours of the finest prog rock ever conceived, performed, and endowed upon humanity. I am your host, Perkins Warbeck Twenty-Third, last in the line of the Plantagenet dynasty, which I vow shall return one day and retake the throne of England. In the meantime, I am committed to bringing the world the very best of progressive rock and roll. From its heyday, 1969 to 1976, and then smatterings of the genre, which persist in various forms to this day. It's still alive as long as creative folk want to play rock and roll and want to expand beyond the strictures of the genre. to all other forms of musical expression, all fused into one beautiful package. Here in the Gates of Delirium, we are on mutinyradio.fm right now. It's April 20th, 2022. Happy 420, everybody. That was a big, 
gathering in the park today, celebrating the ceremonial herb. I wish I was there, but I was preparing for this. Today's show, 30th installment of Gates of Delirium. We're going to emphasize, we're going to concentrate on two bands. One is Steve Hillage, his first album after he left the band Gong. This is from 1975. That would be Fish Rising. And we're also going to hear Popol Vuh, entire album by them. You are listening to The Gates of Delirium. This is the glorious Ohm riff by Steve Hillage.
Captain Curls up in the head. Mutiny Radio Festival, ahoy! Ah, very good. Ah, very good, Legless Joe. I'm surprised you can see from the crow's nest with no legs. It's to get ready. Crew, the festival is upon us. Scurvy Steve, how many comics? Over a hundred comics. You're looking good, Scurvy Steve. Glad the scurvy hasn't taken you. Aye, aye, Captain. You, no liver Mary, how many venues? We've got nine venues, sir. And you, boy, what's your name? Very good. And finally, Eleven Fingers Sally. What about the tickets? You can find all of your tickets on Eventbrite, sir. Check out www.mutinyradio.fm. What is that? I don't know what a website is. I'm a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) But quick to the festival. All sails ahead. Pirate noises. You're still thinking, and when it's all over, you... Well, you know who's headlining at Cobb's Comedy Club on Sunday? Who? Who? Mark Neuer. Oh, fucking Mark. Oh, my God. I hear he's the best of the worst. He gives you the business, y'all. Yeah, it's Mark Neuer on Cobb's Comedy Club, Sunday, August 13th. At 7.30 p.m. Please come and come all. Don't miss your chance to see Mark Neuer headlining the best of the worst. Sunday, August 13th at 7.30 p.m. at Cobb's Comedy Club. 915 Columbus Avenue, San Francisco. Hosted by Emily Rudolph and featuring Ernest Evangelista, Honiton Ortiz, the legendary front office, and the one and only Spencer Devine. Get your tickets online now at CobbsComedy.com. Remember, there are more at the door. And get ready to get served the business. Side effects may include acid reflux, black lung, black foot, IBS, racism, homophobia, arachnophobia, erectile dysfunction, erections lasting more than four hours, spontaneous human combustion, and 